everyone. Welcome back to Invisible Scars. This is Michelle Viapiano, and I'm here with my husband, Paul. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is called Control. And I wanted to really point out some behaviors that people don't even realize are abusive, emotionally abusive, traumatic, and a lot of it stems from the control that the abuser has over you. Emotional abuse can sometimes be more devastating than physical abuse. Bruises heal, wounds go away, and they might leave a scar that everyone can see, but emotional trauma stays with you forever and it leaves scars that only you know about. So I wanted to talk about some of the common examples of emotional abuse um, in regards to control. And these are things that I did not even think of as abusive. Um, There's a couple of them that I wanna focus on today. The first one is Uh, When the person exerts financial control over the other person, when they treat the other person as a child, when they withhold affection, when they egg someone on, or as I like to call it, push my buttons, humiliation and isolation. And I wish I knew that these were common signs of emotional abuse 21 years ago. From the very beginning of this relationship, there were so many, so many signs and I just didn't recognize them. Um, I guess the hardest thing when I look back is that he didn't just do it to me. He did it to a lot of people and it's really sad. And I, I was thinking he, he didn't really discriminate against who he chose to abuse. But as Paul and I were talking, um, that's kind of an incorrect statement because he only targeted the women in his life. Never, right? Never. True. Never. Yeah. Never any male um, friends or brothers or family of any kind. It was always women. Uh, and, and during this time period, it was more common with me, his mother, and his stepdaughter. Um, what I didn't realize at first was when I first met him and found out I was having a baby and I had to figure out what I was going to do, um, the decision was made that I would move to his apartment in um, Westchester. And because he had kids and his own apartment, it just seemed to make sense for me just to leave my apartment and my friends and, and move there. So I moved into his apartment. All of the bills were in his name. The apartment was in his name. Um, I didn't have a car, so he had, at the time, he had two cars, and he let me drive one of the cars. So um, I would never have thought that that was a sign of emotional abuse. Can, can I ask a question? Because yeah. I don't know that we've ever really touched on this, but did he say specifically he didn't want your name on the house, or did he make excuses? Did you ever ask or volunteer? Well, this was this was his apartment, so he had the apartment. But yeah, when we did buy the house, I'll, I'm going to touch on that because it. So okay, so of course, when I moved into his apartment with his kids and everything, it made sense to me at the time, probably not to my friends and everyone else, that we would have a joint bank account. So my money would go right into that account. And the next thing I knew, I was, you know, paying for stuff that was for someone's children. Not that I mind, because uh, I love those kids to death. But I ended up turning everything over kind of in his name. So 
like I said, I didn't have a car and I borrowed, I used his car. And then one day, uh, the mom of his kids needed a car and her car broke down and she didn't have the money to get it fixed. And he let her drive the car that I was using. So that put me in a situation where now what do I do? I, I have no car. How do I get to work? At the time I was working in the city, it ended up causing an argument, fights back and forth. Uh, and all of this was before I even had Jordan. When it came closer to the time that Jordan was due, we realized that we did not have enough room in this two bedroom apartment for us and three kids. So we decided to uh, buy a house. So we found a house that we loved and he claimed that he would get a better interest rate or percentage, whatever you call it. I don't even know what, whatever. But so that house, even though I paid a portion of the money down with my, you know, my paychecks and everything, that house was in his name, not my name, just his name. Go ahead. What are you going to say? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not laughing, but that's just how ironic. I don't know why both of your names wouldn't be on the house at that point. Yeah, I know. And again, at the time I didn't, I didn't think of it as abuse i looked at it as all right well that we'll get a better interest rate and it's it will save money and we're going to have a house for the kids and you know it just kind of it just kind of made sense but to your point it's, it wasn't abuse yet it was control it was control right? yeah leverage, and, con and leverage con over you. yeah and control is is one of the biggest forms of of emotional uh abuse mm -hmm. another one another big one is um, withholding affection. So what I observed early on, he was very affectionate towards me. Sorry, hon. But um, not overly affectionate, but more than he was with anyone else. He was not affectionate with his mom, with his kids, with his family. You know, he would give him a hug or whatever, but not overly affectionate. And we touched base on this in the beginning in our first episode where I was, um, I felt Jordan moving and I wanted him to feel her moving in my stomach. And he's like, I've been through this already. I, I don't need to feel this again. Um, and again, I didn't think that that was any type of, you know, abuse. With, once we knew about Jordan, that's when every type of affection went away on his end. He didn't want her. He made it very clear he wasn't going to be affectionate. This was not his first kid. So that was the second biggest thing. And that that is one of the first things that caused issues in our relationship, the way he pulled back. And, um, and just, I don't know, he was just a totally different person. Was it ever discussed that you maybe would not have Jordan? Did that conversation come out of his mouth or he was moving forward with the pregnancy? Regardless? No, that never, no, no. But I could tell he wasn't thrilled that he was going to have another kid. Um, another big, big. I guess, topic of, of this abuse is egging people on or pushing buttons. And oh my God, did he push buttons? I, I, I think that was the one thing, hun, that made me crazy. And we talked, we talked about this in episode one, uh, where I, you know, I don't like fish. Everyone who knows me knows that. And he would purposely cook salmon and then put it under my nose so I would smell it and get nauseous and then get sick. Uh, he would find little things to say to me that he knew, he knew would upset me. And almost like he wanted to have a fight. He, 
Well, it was clear because on, on my end, obviously, even early on in our relationship, I'd see the texts come in. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd see you get the phone calls that your whole face would dramatically change. It was usually something that he was trying to drop a bomb on you mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether it had to do with Jordan or the schedule or the holidays coming up that you had pre-planned things, he was trying to throw a monkey wrench in it just to get you upset, just to see how far he could push it, especially, you know, during the time that we were together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have some notes from when we were going to court back in 2007. And one of the things uh, when you talk about control in... Uh, we had we had a miscarriage in October of 2007, and I had to go to the hospital and, and have a DNC. And I was supposed to have Jordan the next day. He was supposed to drop her off at my house because I couldn't drive. And I was looking for him, calling him, texting him, where are you? And he wouldn't pick up, wouldn't answer. I couldn't find her. I had no idea where she was. And yeah, I was emotional. I just lost a baby and I wanted my kid around. So I called his mom and she's like, no, he's, she's not here. I, I don't know where she is. I haven't spoken to him today. And then I called his son and his son picked up the phone and he's like, yeah, Jordan's right here. She's right next to me. So I knew that Jordan had been with his mom. So I called my attorney and um, he tried everything to get Jordan back. And of course it was a challenge and um, they tried to, he tried to make it seem like I was not mentally sound. Um, In fact, one of of the lines in my paperwork uh, from my attorney to his attorney says, You and your clients claim that my client is out of control and that she has an emotionally unstable home, is entirely unfounded, and flies in the face of my client's recent mental health assessment. It is bewildering to me how you feel you can come to such conclusions to the extent that your client will now not allow my client to have visitation with her daughter. So... The mental assessment, the mental health assessment, we all had to go through. Um, did you go through it? T- you did too, didn't you? At one yeah. point, yeah. We all did because when we were trying to get custody. Not sure or, I, passed, but... I don't know, but we, I don't know. But I'm sure you did fine. But we all had to go through it. I did, Paul, Jordan, all of his kids, Gina, everybody. But if we, if we could go back one second because mm-hmm. we, uh, we we went through that, that conversation where we had... Um, the miscarriage. And I, I think, you know, you you kind of, you know, you stated the facts just there. But if I could kind of paint the picture of what that, that time was like. I this mean, was obviously, the second miscarriage. Th- this was... The second one. You were extremely emotional, mm-hmm. um, as we both were, because this was devastating to us. So that was one thing. But you had really wanted to see Jordan. I did. And I think she was with her father for a set period of time before. So it had been a little bit and you had planned a day. I believe you were going shopping for school clothes or something like that. I I forget what you had told her. Um, I don't even remember. And she was looking forward to it as well. And then to find out that, you know, specifically, I guess because things had gotten very volatile Mm -hmm. days prior leading up to this, um, he specifically was trying to uh, control your life, your situation, our life in in general, and then tried to remove her Mm -hmm. from the day that you were supposed to receive her, which, of course, you were already emotional because of what your body was going through, what we were going through mentally, physically. But then he withheld Jordan and then said he didn't know where she was. No, Um, he never... His mom said she didn't know where she was, and he right, just he told never. You... No, he never called me. He wouldn't answer me or anything. Oh, that's right. And then when I finally realized where she was, I called the attorney. But I remember that specific day, and oh, that was one of our darker days. I would say mm-hmm. that it was so 
horrible the way that it went down and the timing couldn't have been worse. And I think from from that particular moment on, um, we knew uh, exactly what we were, were dealing with. We were yeah. dealing with. So it's just, it just, I think I, I, f- I first saw the control and, and the, um, the person he truly was mm-hmm. when I saw that happen. Because a lot of the other things, you know, I, I was like, okay, I've seen it, but he can't be that bad of a person. Yeah. And, and those were the things, these are the things that people didn't see or didn't know. I guarantee half of the people that know us and are listening to this didn't even know that this happened. Um, and another uh, key point of emotional abuse is humiliation. And he always, always found a way to put me in my place or made fun of me or just would try to knock me down a peg. And I remember I have a, a lot of examples, but one was we were all at the pool, the town pool. Um, it was our family, his brothers, their kids. And we were sitting there and, and we were having a conversation and his brother said something and, and I jumped in the conversation. I just, you know, started talking and he looked at me and I remember like it happened yesterday. He stopped talking, looked at me and said, did anyone ask you for your opinion? And he would do these things and then I would immediately kind of, um, what do you call it? Like, I would shut down. Shut down. Yeah. I would shut down and I would get very quiet. I would go upstairs, probably cry, um, which seemed to be a common occurrence. But then nobody saw it. So... Although I do remember his brother saying something to him that day that, you know, that was that was rude or whatever. And that was something that I was so used to that I just shrugged it off. Um, There were a lot of examples of that. And then isolation is another key factor in this. And he always would put on a, a good show. He would tell me, go see your friends, go see your family. When my friends, when he would talk to my friends, he would say, you know, I've been trying to tell her to go see you and spend some time with you. But the reality was he was never home on the weekends when I could have gone to see my friends. You he know? Wa- yep. He wanted, he wanted his alone time too. He wanted his, yeah. And and I didn't even want to, I, I don't even know that I wanted to play. I just wanted to see my friends, you know, and um, and it was hard. So I, I stopped seeing a lot of my friends and, uh, you know, I always made the family my focus. So there was always, always, always an argument going on for something. Either he was pushing my buttons or making fun of me or... Um, you know, just being him. And whenever we would have something to go to, like a family barbecue or a birthday party, if we had a fight, he would say to me, well, you're not coming. This is my family. You want to fight with me? You want to whatever? You can stay home. And did you? I did. Where else? How, what was I going to do? Well, you had a vehicle at that point, right? But... You knew he was going to make your life miserable. If yeah, you it, at at this point, it wasn't it wasn't even worth it. You know, it, it was just the way he made me feel, or the you know, it was like this sinking feeling in my gut, and he did it constantly. He did it constantly, and i have um I have some notes here too from court, and I think one of the things that was so upsetting to me when I was reviewing this stuff yesterday um there is a statement in here from what well, not a statement but a comment that Jasmine had made to me and um she came up to me and she said, "Why is he always so mean to me and you?" And she was probably 10 
I mean... And again, Jasmine is... Jasmine is his stepdaughter. Um, And, you know, she was 10 or 11. And for her to look at me and say, why is he always mean to us? It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And at that point, I, I knew that it wasn't a good situation for me to be in. But as I said before, I didn't have any family. I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, his mom took care of Jordan. Um, his family helped with Jordan. There was, it was a difficult situation for me. Even when I would try to ask him stuff, I remember I have an email here from February of 2007. Um, and I said to him, uh, I was, I said, I, um, let me know what day next week we can meet regarding Jordan's schedule. I would prefer not to discuss this in front of her. Is there a day that you have her where Jasmine will be around to keep an eye on her? I know this may not be a priority for your, for you right now, especially with your pending engagement. Congratulations. But decisions need to be made. And then in bold print, I said, I just wanted to get some of my points across because this is always difficult trying to get you to discuss anything. So I'm going to tell you now what I am planning to say. And then I actually had to bullet point, which you probably told me to do this, um, to bullet point everything that I needed to address because even a simple conversation about uh, where, it, this was about too, who was going to watch her on when he was on his honeymoon and everything else and and school and her Girl Scout events. And it was just... It was crazy that I had to live like that. Well, yeah, because it didn't, it didn't matter how many conversations we had. You would never get anywhere with him on the phone. Or when you did, he would never remember or mm-hmm. pretend to not remember. So then we started putting it in writing. We mm-hmm. started putting it in an email. Everything. Sometimes he acknowledged that he read the email. Sometimes he didn't. So, But we knew that we got the message across and we were at least communicating mm-hmm. where that was not a really something that he was very excelled at. And so this was, yeah, this got to a time where we started getting smart and documenting mm-hmm. everything so that we had our ducks in a row because mm-hmm. it was it was totally interrupting Jordan's life. She never knew where she was at, at any given point in time, and she needed to have some stability, and we needed to plan our life with her, mm-hmm. and we couldn't do that prior. Yep. And um, I have this email from a year later, almost exactly a year later, and he wrote to me saying, I'm writing to you in regards uh, to Jordan's future expenses. So we used to split stuff when he felt like paying. Um, but this email, he says, moving forward, I will be providing payments towards the YMCA, which was our before and after care, um, and school meals directly to the school. I realize you have automatic payments. You will no longer need to make those direct payments. As far as Jordan's school meals, it will remain the same for now, but instead of me giving you a check, I will be providing my portion directly to the school. As things progress, I don't feel there is a need for me to provide you with any further payments, and frankly, I don't feel comfortable doing so from here on. What's ironic about that is that how how long did he continue to, to process checks to the school for lunch? Oh, he, he didn't. I, I have, I think... I think for like two and a half years, we we spent we spent like three thousand dollars on on her meals, and he never point ever. Where Jordan would call you up and say, "Hey, mom, I, yeah, I need can money. I get money when she was at his house? Can I get money for lunch? Because dad forgot, or mm-hmm. dad said get it from your mother, or whatever. It just and she was up living with him, going to school there. It was different when we had her part of the week and we could give her money, but it was it was just a constant. Mm-hmm. It was just a constant. It was it was crazy, um, and it's so weird to to look back at some of this stuff because I don't know. It just brings back all these bad memories, and it's like it's it's like I'm reliving it, but it needs to come out. Um, <clears throat> you know the the part that really stood out when when I was reviewing my notes because I have every email I have every document that I ever sent to him or that he ever sent to me um 
or that his now girlfriend sent to me and um, but my notes showed that in June of 2006 I spoke to him on the phone and I talked to him I actually had a friend in the car with me it was Lisa at the time Lisa G the other one mm-hmm. and <clears throat> um I had him on speaker and I I told him you know I I've I had been working in New Jersey since 2000 2000 mm-hmm. right yeah pretty much pretty much and uh it made sense for me to to move to New Jersey and at that point we weren't engaged or talked about getting married or anything but I wanted Jordan to go to school by me or by us. We live, no joke, three minutes door to door from my house to the school. I'm the one that took her to dance. I'm the one that did everything with with her. And she danced here in town. And she danced here in town. And he agreed. And then he decided, hmm... He decided to change his mind, and of course, that was right before he got engaged. And we were going back and forth to court prior to his wedding. And I remember, um, I remember sitting in the kitchen with Gina. We were sitting at the island, and she was really upset. I don't know if you remember, but she looked at me and she looked at you, and she said. Why did he, why did he even marry me? And I looked at her and I said, do you want the truth? And she said, yes. And do you remember what we told her? I, I do, which was, uh, I felt bad. I mean, again, this was I know. what we believe our truth mm-hmm. or his truth was, but we saw it very clear. Yeah. I mean, he needed to get married to provide a stable home because uh, he was taking me to court because he did not want Jordan to live in New Jersey. And it was really hard for me to say that to Gina, but she needed to know. She needed to know that it wasn't her fault. She was just his victim or his target to get him what he needed. And and it it worked. He he created this false sense of a stable home. Um, and where we knew ours was sincere, we knew things were not great there because Jordan would tell us. And and I know because I lived in that situation for so many years, so many years. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really tough. I think... Were you going to say something? No. Okay. Um, Part of the emotional trauma that is the hardest to deal with is that I let it go on for so long and I left the situation to get my daughter out and she ended up right back in the situation and his new wife was in the situation and I felt I can't even describe how I felt I felt like everything that I did to make it better for me and Jordan was for nothing because even when I was with you the whole time we were together the whole time we would argue or not argue, but we would, you know, we would disagree about, you know, how we should respond to him or what, you know, what would I do? How would I parent Jordan? What? And it ended up putting a lot of strain on our relationship. It did. It, it was it was tough. And, you know, we we discussed this before we even got engaged mm-hmm. um, that knowing the type of person he was that I was. You know, when you get married to someone and you bring a stepchild into your home, you also bring their parent with you because they're part of your life. And it was very difficult for me to see what he had done to you mm-hmm. and to want to bring that into our my world 
into my family because that was not that was not something that I've ever experienced. That's not something, you know, I come from an Italian background, big family. Uh, yeah, people fight, kiss and make up, but um, curse at each other sometimes. But the next day, it's all about family, right? Mm -hmm. And clearly, he showed us that family is not um, a priority for him. And it doesn't matter whether you're blood or not. Family is family. Those people who live with you, live under your roof, they're your family. And unfortunately, he was going to become part of mm -hmm. our family. And that was really tough. And you know that we I know. we didn't see eye to eye. I, I didn't understand mm -hmm. why you couldn't stand up to him at first. I didn't understand the emotional baggage that you had with him mm -hmm. and what he did to you. Again, those scars that you talk about, I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't I couldn't understand them. But I, I know every time we tried to have a conversation, and it was a tough conversation, um, you would withdraw sometimes even because we we mostly fought about, about him. how the situation yeah. was being handled. Mm -hmm. Not about you and I necessarily. Um, we kind of had most of our time tied up with how we were going to manage it, how we were going to give Jordan the, the, the right life because this going back and forth, the schedule that, that was created was ridiculous. Um, it took a lot out of our lives. It was a lot to manage. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy for, you know, a 7, 10, 12-year-old yeah. going back and forth between New York State and New Jersey, back and forth couple of times a week during the week and on the weekend so it was hard it was very hard to to get through but we we did I mean we we figured out a way we found a common ground and then somehow you you got stronger you you did you got you got stronger and you started fighting back and mm -hmm. you definitely got smarter with him because neither one of us had dealt with anyone like that before yeah. and you found a way to stop letting every little thing or stop letting him get under your skin because was, you realized that it wasn't you, that it was him. But I think for a long time you thought it was you. For a while I thought it was me. Um, but the things that he would do would cause such anxiety in me. I would be fine. I remember we would have... A great day, and then I would get a text, and my whole, everything was just done. I couldn't, like, move past it. And he found a way to do that almost every time we did something. Uh, remember when we went to Hershey? Yes. Mm -hmm. We went to Hershey, and we told him... We were going, and he knew, and he was supposed to have Jordan the night that we were coming back, and we called him when we were leaving, told him, well, Jordan did, because I didn't like to talk to him, but Jordan told him we were heading home, and we got stuck in so much traffic coming home. It was, I don't even, it was crazy, and we had to pick up our dog, because Cindy was watching the dogs so we called him to tell him we were in traffic and we were running late and the next thing I know Jordan's crying in the back seat and he basically said to us if if she's not back by whatever time that he was gonna call the cops and say that I kidnapped her so our whole weekend was kind of I don't know annihilated uh wiped out and we had such a good time we had so much fun and he he ruined it he found he found a way to ruin everything that we either did as a family or tried to do for Jordan for well, each other and you know I think um the thing that stands out in my mind too with this is that we knew he did it to you for for a long time, mm -hmm. and he was trying to retaliate because you pushed back, you um, you took control eventually, and he didn't like seeing you take that control back, and so then he started doing it to Jordan, mm -hmm. and then he would start and specifically call to ruin her day, and he would 
involve her in conversations that we would have that we said, hey, we want to keep Jordan out of this. There's no reason why at her age, right. at 10, 11 years old, she needs to be in the middle. But then eventually he started saying, hey, you know, your mother said this. Like he would sometimes say, well, you're on the All phone. The and he, she was with him. And other times she would come back and tell us, oh, well, daddy said you didn't want to do it because of this. Right. And you'd constantly have to defend Myself. yourself to your daughter because he would tell her and she would believe it because why would my like why would my father lie to me is what she's thinking right she knows differently now but um so it was that i think that was the tough the tougher part that we had is because once you were finally able to put it in a place where you could manage it he took it to that level where let me get to you with your daughter mm-hmm. and it worked because then it started a whole vicious cycle all over again all over again and you I think that was harder for you than the the mental and verbal abuse that he threw at you is knowing that it was going to it, Jordan to Jordan and attacking her. And there was nothing that there and was nothing I helpless. could do no. what can for you do? her when she was not with us. Exactly. And then the withholding of the phone calls uh, when you tried to talk to her. Yeah. got rid of the house phone. So there was no way you could get to her. Because mm-hmm. they had a house phone at one point. Then they he did. made it his cell phone. And eventually, um, he would just not answer the cell phone. Mm-hmm. And he would... Um, I remember Jordan talking to us. And, and were talking to me and saying um, that there would be times she wanted to call me. And he would say no. Or if she misbehaved, he wouldn't let her speak to me. But... Even when she was good, he didn't let her call me. I would call him. He wouldn't pick up or he would say, oh, she's busy. She doesn't want to talk to you. And it was just absolutely stressful. It was it was beyond. And I don't know what happened and what clicked for me. But when when we went to court and we took him... I remember saying, I cannot believe I'm sitting in court. I can't believe I'm doing this. But a few years later, and I don't know if it's when I knew he was unraveling, you could kind of see things were changing there with were him. Co- there were a couple of things. Jordan was getting stronger, and Jordan was having a hard time living at that house, being left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, having the internet taken away from her, having her cell phone taken away from her, all the things that had started happening to her. I mean, she was in that house mm-hmm. at what, 11 or 12 by herself mm-hmm. after school. Um, and if that wasn't bad enough, he started, again, to get to you, taking things out on her, withholding things. He didn't do it to his son. Mm-hmm. He just did it to Jordan. And um, we, I think that motivated you right there is you're like you know what i have to I have to figure out a way out and when jordan said she wanted out and that she was she was done that's i think part of the catalyst mm-hmm. and then yes he he started showing um definite signs of weakness cuz he couldn't control jordan and you at the and same time and me at the same time and it was and nobody else ever stood up to him and i think that's why he despises me so much because I didn't I did not let him bully me anymore and now that I think back it was when he was starting when I found out from Gina that they were separated and getting a divorce he called me and he said I want to talk to you um, about some things about Gina and he brought Jordan to my hotel in uh, White Plains. And he sat there and he kept saying stuff. And he said, don't you see I'm trying to show a pattern? I'm trying to show that she has um, issues with anxiety and depression. And he just kept saying, trying to show a pattern, trying to show a pattern. I think he used the term, I'm trying to establish a pattern Uh, of behavior. uh, Yeah, that's what it was. Which was, uh, we knew was a legal term of what he was trying to to do is desecrate her for, make it look like it was her. Because at that point, he wouldn't let Jordan talk to Gina. Right. He, you know, they all lived in the same house together for Mm -hmm. that, what, year? Yeah. And they were not allowed to talk. I mean, how how horrible was, was that? And when he... 
when he's when he did that, that was probably his biggest downfall because I realized at that point I was done with him and Jordan was getting older and I was looking at Juliana because he also brought her to my office and I said, no, I, and I said, you know what, I have to go. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and show a pattern against her there because I didn't believe anything that he said, but he did try to get me to his side and and make it seem like Gina was this terrible person and that wasn't the case and from that point on I stopped feeding into his I don't even know what you would call it but you know his plan his master plan uh and you know I don't know if we mentioned this but what were you gonna say no I just I think also that at that point, you were getting stronger, and then, you know what, not only were you helping Jordan, but you saw him doing the same thing he did to you. And in some instances, based on the stories, they were even harsher in the way that, that mm -hmm. he treated her. And you said, you know what, I'm not going to allow that to happen to Gina. Right. And then continue the pattern with Juliana. So I think that's when you really kind of uh, grew your wings and said, you know what, we're going to do this together. I don't together. know if it was wings or a pair of you-know-what, <laughs> but... But it, it just, I think it changed the way you looked at it and said, you know what, I'm not... I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not tolerating it. And you didn't. And I don't, again, I don't know if we mentioned this, but um, he would call me and he would say, or he would text me and he would say, you're too involved in my divorce. And he, I remember when he called me and he said, you need to stay out of my divorce. It's not your fight. It's not whatever. And I was like, what the heck is he? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't talk about your divorce. And he said, really? You didn't just text Gina and you didn't call her at, like he would, he would say, you didn't call her at 627 last night. And I was like, oh, my God, is he, how is he, how does he know that I'm calling her? He knew every time I spoke to her, sent her a text, an email. And we came to find out that he, um, I guess, cloned her Apple ID mm -hmm. on his iPad or something and so every text that she sent to me or I sent to her, he was reading. He read every email. And he had um, he had the phone, uh, the phone bill where he printed out all of the numbers. So he saw all the call all the calls back and forth. Which is the same thing he did to Jordan. Yeah. And she explained that that he cloned her phone as well. Again, signs of control is knowing exactly what's going on in someone's world, especially when they don't know it themselves that you're there you're aware of it and it just that was his his pattern of behavior and it held true to probably it probably held true to you too and you didn't really realize it mm -hmm. he probably was cloning your phone when you were together if he was able to so More it's power just to and him. you know i go back to the conversation that you had with his mom <laughs> she said this is not my son mm -hmm. you have no idea what my son's really like and i still wonder why you didn't run but I, I, I know. know it's it's very complicated, but I that conversation was, I guess, probably the most eye opening of any of the conversations you had with her. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in retrospect, yeah. had you only listened to that advice, who knew, you know, at the time how true that was going to be. Right. So it's That's, just sad. Yeah. And and even when we went to court, the judge, when we presented that evidence, I didn't think they were going to admit it into evidence because they were tough on some of the stuff. But when she accepted it and looked at it, she said to me, you know, you can file a, a complaint or you can file press charges against him for doing that because it wasn't legal. But at that point, I I looked at Paul and I remember I was like, no, I am not. I am not doing this. I can't go. I, I can't do another I can't have another battle. And this was my custody case when Jordan was, was older, you know. We we were dealing with this from the time she was seven, you know. Exactly. And, 
And we had, you know, we went to court the first time and we probably didn't have the best legal advice and we were new at it. And mm-hmm. I still remember the day <clears throat> that we went to court and we thought, oh, the courts are going to hear our story. The courts are going to see what yep. he does to you, what he's doing to Jordan. And that first round in court i remember us coming home that day after the judge or the the lawyer said to us oh you're, you're not going to get in front of the judge yeah you're not going to see you the need, judge you need to settle this otherwise you're going to lose your daughter um which was the sentiment that mm-hmm. came across and you and i went home that day because we knew the next day we had to decide how we wanted to how handle we, this yeah. and i wanted you to go through with the court but at the same time, we but, were newly yeah, married. The trial, yeah. The trial, sorry. And we were newly married, and I did not want to risk our relationship because you said to me, if I lose my daughter, you know, basically, I knew you would never forgive me. Yeah. And I did not know enough about it. I'd never been in court um, Dude, had to I, I... that extent and understood how it worked. So we we took the the amicable way out, and we created this crazy schedule well you where know what? it was 50 50 well hold on when we came home from court that day when when our attorney told us that you i remember you went to bed i don't think we had jordan i think we got home at 4 30 5 o'clock you went we were so emotionally, emotionally drained, drained. Yep. And you went to sleep, I, I, and I fell. I don't even know if I fell asleep downstairs. I I don't know. It was the middle of the day. It was the middle of the day. I think it was like two o'clock in the after or three o'clock yeah, when we got home. It was light. It was, they're done by four. And we just stared at the ceiling, saying, "I I can't believe we're not going to be able to, to present to, our case to present our case and show the court what's really happening and what this person is really doing to his family, to you." To whatever but we learned and mm-hmm. then obviously which made it better for the second time around but correct and to your point when we went back the next day they came out our attorneys came out and basically said you have 40 minutes to create your visitation schedule and i was like seriously we have 40 minutes to determine what's going to happen until this kid is 18 years old and it went back and forth and back and, forth. and it was the most ridiculous schedule. But when you're pushed into a corner, it, you know, it was just, uh, it was bizarre. But the the good outcome here was you did get a schedule. You got the we weekend got a schedule. schedule that you wanted as well as um, holidays. You, and you've got primary cut. What was the actual terminology? Uh, well, the second time around, I got. Um, residency and he can't well now you know she's 20 years old so it doesn't matter but he uh, the second time I had full decision making he I did not have to go to him to ask him for for anything I was able to make all the decisions I can't remember what they called it but the first time around we ended up with joint legal custody and they used his address it it said primarily uh, for school purposes only and we had we both had the decision making um, power, and he that went right to his head when he knew that he could still be involved in her life. The second time, we got full legal custody. He had no decision power. He nothing. He could see her every other weekend and once a week. And I, I think that's. When we saw him, like, really get beaten down, I, I saw him finally looking like he was defeated. And he was. And he was. Because his own daughter said, here's what I think about you. I want out of here. Yep. I want out of this house. And that was so hard for his ego to handle. But after the way that he treated her and the things that he put her through in that last year being in that house... It was unacceptable and intolerable for her to to be there, giving away her dog. I mean, all the things that he did to her. I don't know. I think, again, he thought he was just going to get back at you mm-hmm. through creating pain within Jordan. But he didn't realize that it made her stronger. She started to get stronger because mm-hmm. she was... 16, 17 yep. at the time. And she's my kid. And 
we were concerned, but she was a lot stronger than we thought. Than we thought, yeah. And I think you showing that you stood up to him, you know, at first, of course, at 17 years old, it's still a mixed bag. I, you know, I don't want to leave well, my father was, behind. She was 16 because, right? When we started. When we, we started, started the yeah. process, yeah, but it took us... Like, November of 2016, we yeah. got the, so it, it was, overall, it was just, um, he, he was finally defeated. And then I remember uh, Gina then had some challenges with him and they were back in court. And I, I went to court as her witness. <laughs> and um, he, when he saw me in the waiting room of the courthouse, on her side, he was even more defeated. And he always said that we ganged up on him and we we pulled together to take everything away from him. And that was never the case. We, we stood together and fought for what was right and what we believed and to make a better life for our children and his children that... Uh, you know, like we've said before, they spend a lot of time here. They, It's like they live here. They come and do whatever they want. And there was just so many lives that were impacted by him and and continue. And it has to stop. And, and again, it, probably the best thing that ever happened for Jordan, even though it was hard at the time, is when he kicked her older brother out and then uh, her stepsister or her, her half sister yeah. out step. Sorry. Um, when that happened, that was the only reason Jordan was tied to that house, to that family unit. She had already established a great relationship with her cousins and her uncles, but the, but her siblings being at that house was what she really truly missed by not being there full time. And now, they were, they were pretty they were much gone. told to hit the road, because again, this is who he is, and that that's also what gave her strength mm-hmm. to push back. Um, you know, we talk about the strength that you had was fostered by, by, um, you know, Jordan mm-hmm. trying to protect her. But I think, really, her brother and sister, knowing that um, he had such a difference of opinion about who they were as people. Jordan just said, um, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. What, what, why do I need to be there? Why do I need to subject myself? And I think that was the best thing that ever happened. And that's when he became unraveled for right. sure, even further. And that gave her the strength to stand up in court and say, I want out. I'm done because I'm, I'm the next victim and I don't right. want to be. And that was great that she was able to do that. And one of the things that was tough for her was she knew if she got out, that she was leaving her little sister. True. And overall, that was that was tough. I think that was one of the hardest things for her was not seeing her all the time, and knowing that she was stuck in that house with him and his new family. But she knew that she could see her little sister whenever Gina, because she was welcome in her home at any point. Yeah. She would see her here at the house. So she's at that point, she's like, what do I need to go back there for yeah. when my sister can come, come visit here. here? And and we're and now we're like we're like family. I mean, it wasn't always like that. Yeah. But now she's an extension of our family. Yeah. Marissa and, thinks that we're all she thinks Juliana is her cousin and sister. And yeah, we have so, a nice blended family. And it's it's great. I mean, it's. It's just so ironic and sad at the same time because, you know, the, the entire his entire side of the family, they don't talk to him. They don't invite him. He even Jordan's graduation. Yeah. He he wasn't welcome. I think Jordan called him the last minute to let him know, but no one in the family really talked to him. I think Felix no. was the only one that went up to him. Yeah. Who's our side of the family? Mm-hmm. Um, and even spoke to him. So Christine probably did too because she always managed to keep that relationship with him despite the fact that she knew you know how he was she tried to do that for jordan so 
I guess, you know, in, in wrapping this up for tonight, the main thing here is there are signs. And I'm hoping that sharing this story helps people realize what some of these signs are. Um, I posted on my, my Facebook page for this group that full circle of, of abuse and the different stages of it. Um, you should take a look at it if you can. And, and if you see any of these signs, try to talk to someone. And don't talk yourself out of it. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably because it's, it's not right. Um, looking back, I wish I would have seen it sooner. But I feel like I had to go through some of that stuff to get me to where I am right now. But if, if I can help anyone um, get out of a situation or identify that they're even in a situation, then it's, it was worth it. So um, do you have anything else to say before? Well, just we... for, the, for the men or women out there that are dealing with someone with these emotional scars um, or invisible scars, it's, you know, it took me, I mean, we're going on 14 years now. It took mm -hmm. me quite a few years to understand your reaction to things because even when we would have a debate um, or if we would raise our voices, you would shut down. Right. And, and you know, again, I come from an Italian family where we get louder when we have debates, um, and that's just normal. Um, but I couldn't understand why we couldn't talk things through. And I little by little understood over time that you needed your time to pull away, to reassess. And, and, and you're different now. I mean, you handle things much differently now. But for so many years, I guess that that was the verbal abuse that you underwent is that you just said, you know, it's not worth fighting and you don't want to say something that's going to get, get blown out of And none of us want to do that because we all have a tendency to say things that we don't want to say when we're fighting. But yes, which um, in this quarantine has happened quite frequently <laughs> with all of quite, us. Quite frequently. But just, I think, understanding. And at first I didn't I didn't get it because, again, I, 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 I didn't have the experience um you know, working through something like that before. So and I probably been... didn't make it clear to you either. I think I shut down and you were just like, what the hell is wrong with her? And I understand it was part of your world. Like you couldn't really sit back and say, hey, just so you understand, yeah. this is how I'm going to handle this. But you did tell me in the beginning, this is how I handle things. You know, I like to walk away, process, and then come back to it. And I wanted to talk through it. And that's not always the way. And that's, you know... I think what a lot of our disagreements yeah. were about, again, um, most of any of the disagreements were about him. Mm -hmm. um, but we got through that together. And um, you got the courage to stand up and to fight. And it was like we were in this together. And I think th that's the best thing that we can take out of this whole process is that, you know, we have we have Jordan mm -hmm. who's in, in our... Um, in our house, loving, mm -hmm. a loving household, um, with family around her, family from both sides, right. not just one side. And, you know, making things better, making a life for our children and trying to, it's, it's so nice now that that she I block him. <laughs> no, she, well, the He's funny, blocked. the funny story was that eventually as you got stronger, remember what his, his ringtone was? On your yeah, phone, which was... I thought was hysterical. <laughs> it was the loudest siren oh. that was on the Apple phone that you could get. It was just it like, was wow, like wow, a, yeah. wow. And it was just really funny. And, of course, um, there was a name associated yeah. with him that would come up that wasn't so flattering. But, Stupid. Um, yes. Sorry. So, but uh, you were able to laugh about it and, again, make light of it because you took back control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the one thing that impresses me the most about you, despite everything he put you through, that you were able to stand up to him and understood what he was doing was wrong for you, for Jordan, for, for everybody, all the women in his life, and you stood up to him. So I'm very proud of you for that. Thank you.
yeah, it was it was crazy, but we got through it. And uh, and again, hopefully, anyone that's listening to this that is going through something similar, um, talk to somebody, call someone. At the end of this podcast, there's, um, you know, a message about never alone again, and and they are an amazing organization for domestic violence, any type of domestic violence physical emotional um reach out to somebody please so um thank you for listening and we'll be back soon thank you for listening to invisible scars bye everyone never alone again domestic violence organization and resource center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was created in 1999 to offer empathetic support for victims of domestic abuse. Motivated by personal experience and the awareness of a need for a safe haven, NAG was developed. We are a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing high quality and individually tailored support services to victims and survivors of domestic violence abuse and families in need. www.neveraloneagain.org